If you could open your Bibles, if you could, with me this morning to Matthew chapter 22. Open your Bibles, your e-Bibles, your paper Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, there's a Bible in front of you. Okay, I have a question. I need honesty this morning. How many of you invited someone to come to church with you this week? Even if they didn't come, but you invited someone. Okay, okay, good, 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 good. It's not about getting them here as much as it's about inviting them to come. This way they know. And we're part of the one campaign. That means every week when you're leaving here, if you're committed to seeing this church grow and God do something in this church, and every week when you're leaving here, you're going to take an invitation and you're going to give it to somebody. One person, once a week. That's the one, one campaign. One person, once a week. And we're going to fill this church up with people who need Jesus. They're imperfect people. Don't say, Pastor, well, can I bring this person to church? Yeah, you bet. You can bring anybody that you want. We are an open door in this place. We love all kinds of people. doesn't mean that we have to agree with everything, but we love all kinds of people. We don't change them. We don't bash them over the head. If the Holy Spirit wants them to change, the Holy Spirit is what does the working in their hearts. And so we're really, we're really excited. Last week, if, if this distracts you, I'm sorry. Last week, I was just, I loved all the gifts that we received that we received last week, and just one of the gifts was this shirt. And the shirt says, The Sermonator. <laughs> the Sermonator. And, uh, and so I love this shirt, and I, and I promised the people that got it for me that, um, that I would wear it this week. Uh, last week I came suited up, and you guys know that I don't like doing that. And so, but this week, The Sermonator is here. And <laughs> so if you, if you stay and keep your Bibles open... With, with me today is there's one thing that's important, and it's so important to me. It should be important to you as well. And we cannot grow as a church. We cannot grow as people. And we cannot genuinely declare ourselves to be Christians if we don't practice this aspect of life. And it's this, love people. Love people. The Bible says that we're to love one another, and sounds good, doesn't it? At face value, it sounds good, but here's, can we do it? Can we do it? Can we genuinely love people when they get on our nerves? Can we genuinely love people when they do things, say things that we genuinely disagree with? Can we love people that hurt us sometimes? Somebody said this one time, and this is a really interesting quote. It says this, I love mankind, it's the people that I can't stand. We live like that as the church, though, sometimes. I love mankind. I love what the Bible says. Jesus is all about love. I want to absorb all of Jesus' love like a care bear, right? But, but I don't want to give it out. And if someone's difficult to love, I don't want to show them love. You know, people are irritating sometimes. And I agree with the guy who said this, the guy who said this, to live above with those we love, oh, what, how that will be glory, to live below with those we know, now that's another story. You know, sometimes it's hard enough to love your own family. One guy told his wife this. <laughs> One guy told his wife this, that if she had really loved him, she would have married someone else. 
But here's the genuine question. How do we make love a dominating characteristic in our lives? Number one, make love a priority. Loving people is difficult. Yet this is what the Bible commands. This is 1 John chapter 3, verse 11. It says, for this is the message you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another. You spend time and invest in things that you think are important. For many of us, the choices that we invest in and how we use our time are valid. Time with family and friends, work, prayer. Some of us are into serving the poor, fighting for rights, protesting wrongs. But as the scripture reminds us of this, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 3. And if I donate all my goods to feed the poor... And if my body, and if I give my body in order to boast, but do not love, I gain nothing. So I can be Mother Teresa in a foreign country. I can go on all these missions trips that I want in the world. I can feed all the hungry and the needy in the world. But if I don't have love, then it is absolutely worthless. It's worthless. Even though we have the freedom to set our own priorities, Jesus made a point of defining certain priorities for us. And here's where I want you to turn to your Bibles. Matthew 22, verse 37 to 39. And this Jesus is asked, hey, Jesus, what, which law, which of the Ten Commandments is the most important? And Jesus says, if I can sum up the law, here's how it goes. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important commandment. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. So here's the deal, friends. Love, then, is not a gray area in the Bible. So if you're like, well, should I really, you know, should I demonstrate love towards this person? I mean, they've been really messed up to me. Love isn't an option. Love isn't an option. Jesus gave love the priority over every other Christian value and every other virtue. Every thought, response, and act of goodwill must first pass through the fine filter of love. Or it means nothing at all. I can give somebody a meal to eat. But if I don't do it as a result of the outpouring and the love I have for Christ, then in the scales of eternity, it means nothing. There are whole denominations out there that are out there fighting for social justice. They're out there fighting for rights. They're out there feeding the poor, and those are all excellent things. But they miss the Jesus piece. And if we go out there and do all these things, then in the scales of eternity, it's worthless. It means nothing unless the love of Christ is demonstrated unless the love of Christ incarnates itself, becomes flesh and bones for those people, and they begin to realize, hey, I don't do just these things because I want to go out here and feed you and love you. I do these things because the love of Christ compels me to feed you and to love you and to have compassion for you. Martin Luther King Jr. in in The Strength to Love encouraged us to realize this. This is what he said. Our responsibility as Christians is to discover the meaning of this command 
and seek passionately to live it out in our daily lives. That's what Martin Luther King Jr. said. But why love? What makes love so important? When Jesus spoke to the disciples regarding the first and second greatest command, he explained this. All the prophets and all the law depends on these two commands. To the people of Israel as well as for many believers today, it would seem more logical for obedience to have been what was mentioned there. The law hangs on obedience since the point of writing the law is to adhere to it, to follow it. And it is written, if you love me, you will keep my command. Yet Jesus also said, I give you a new command. Love one another just as I have loved you. You must also love one another. The Apostle Paul goes on to tell us this in Romans chapter 13, verse 10. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Love, therefore, is the fulfillment of the law. And this may sound irrelevant to our generation that depends on police departments and guns and force to uphold and fulfill the law. That is the United States of America. Yet Jesus' simple command requires greater strength than any of us naturally possess, more power than any man-made weapon. If we were all genuinely followers of Christ, followers of his word, there would be no need for police. There would be no need for police at all. Why? Because if love means doing no wrong to my neighbor, then there would be no reason to call police at all. But we live in a world that is sorely without Christ because there are gaps where the church has not yet met needs. And in those moments, we need to look to meet those needs. The logic of Paul's interpretation of Jesus' command that love fulfills the law seems really simple. For if one loves his neighbor, if you love your neighbor then you wouldn't commit adultery with your neighbor's spouse. If you love your coworker, then you won't lie to them. If you love your enemy, then you won't slander them. Because love fulfills the law. Because if we truly love every person because they're a person, we'll not desire to hurt or violate him or her. Thus, we'd never break the law. God established the law as the impetus for obedience. See, when we demonstrate Christian love, it distinguishes believers from the rest of the world. Jesus would go on to say in John 13, 35, by this love, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Notice what Jesus doesn't say. Jesus didn't say if you're disciples and you're my apostles and followers, then you're going to promote my agenda on this earth. If you're my disciples or my apostles, then then it's sufficient if you go out there wearing your Christian T-shirts. He didn't say, if you love me, then you will not go without the fish decal on your car. If you love me, then all of you will have a what would Jesus do bracelet on. He didn't say any of that. What he said is, they'll know you because you have love for one another. A watching world will not be persuaded by your Jesus t-shirt. 
A loving world will not be persuaded by the scriptures that sit on your desk at work or the fish decal on your car. And I'm not negating any of those things, that they don't have their place. Some of those are awesome things. But what I'm telling you is, is that that cannot replace, that will not persuade anyone, not when our values are promoted. It's not when our values are promoted that the world will change, that will look to us and be like, oh, my goodness. That's the answer to the world that we've been looking for, the church, and it's Jesus, my Savior. It's not when Christ's agenda is promoted on earth, but when Christ's love and his ministry is incarnated, made flesh. When we become the purveyors of Christ's love. It is as though Jesus has given the entire world the right to judge whether or not one is his follower simply on the basis of his love for fellow human beings. You ever, you ever realize that? We live in a world where people will call you out if you say that you're a Christian. They will call you out in an instant. It's like Jesus has put them there almost to check you and to make sure that you're following his path. Because, you see, the one thing that genuinely distinguishes Christians is the virtue of love. From the very beginning, God's plan to develop a people that was, to develop a people that reflected his character. And what is God's character? Love. God is love. And the one who remains in love remains in God. And God remains in him. In this love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. For we are as he is in the world. First John. 4, 16 and 17. Believers are God's advertisement to a watching society as to how individuals could best live within that society. In fact, Christian love will always be the best defense of the gospel that the church has. Christian love will always be the best evangelistic tool that the world has. It's not going to be your track. I used to go with the uh, I think it was called the Peabody or whatever it was, the, the little green tracks that they used to have. I used to go out in New York City. I would hand out those little tracks, and I would see as people would, would just throw it in the garbage. You see, because those little tracks aren't going to win people over. As a matter of fact, I've never, you can correct me if I'm wrong, I've never met anybody who was saved by a track. We have them here, but do you know someone? I don't know anybody personally. I could be totally wrong. I could be totally wrong. Let me ask you a question. Just really quick. Tell me how you came to Christ. I'm going to go throughout the church just really quick. Just a few people. Tell me how you came to Christ. Was it through invitation, relationship? How did you, how did you come? Did somebody give you a track? Did somebody, how, she invited you through relationship. How did you get here? Huh? You were lost. Yeah. You were lost. Okay. Joe, Joe, how did you how did you come to know Christ? Just real quick, did somebody invite you? But how did you get? How did you know about Jesus? How did you know to go into a church? Uh, somebody told me if I tried Jesus, it would change my. There you go. How did you come to a church? How did you come not to this church? Um, how did you come to know Christ? How'd you Brokenness. Okay. Did somebody invite you to come to? How did you come to Christ? How did how did did somebody invite you? I couldn't have children, and then. I just came to the only person I knew who was Jesus. And I read, started reading that Bible. I came from a Catholic background. When I started reading the Word, I just got absorbed in it, and he overtook me. How did you, how did you come here? Go ahead. Uh, I met a genuine person that loved me. 
And I wondered what what did he have that was special, and I asked him, and he told me it was Jesus. Awesome. How'd you how'd you get here? How did you? I was totally lost. I didn't know what to do with my life, and I, what I was going to do. My mother didn't know what to do for me. She passed on my grandfather's Bible to me, and I was really in a bad way. I said I didn't know where to start. Let me just start with Genesis. All of a sudden, I was overtaken by love and light. All the pain, all the anguish, all. Everything I had going wrong was just sucked away from me, and I was just filled with light, and I could no longer deny him. Awesome. Every one of you, here's the point. Every one of you bear witness to the fact that it's relationships with other people, that it's love. See, because I can go to somebody and hang them a risen king invitation and say, hey, come to my church. We'd love to have you here. But it's not the invitation that's going to do the thing. It's my personality and my talk with them. It's the fact that, hey, I took genuine care. Hey, dude, why don't you come to my church? Why don't you come worship me? He's not coming because I gave him the card. He's coming because he had a genuine interaction with me. If I was a snob to him and said, hey, man, uh, just why don't you come to my church and just walked away, then, then there was no relationship that drew him here. Everyone comes to Christ. Thanks, appreciate it. Everyone comes to Christ through relationship with each other. We come to Christ through relationship with each other. We come to Christ through love. Somebody told me this week, listen to this. Somebody just told me right right before we started the service. Hey, I want I invited somebody in the town. I had my cousin who uh, uh, um, has children and I invited them to come. They live here in the town. I invited them to come to the church and I called them up. Listen to this. I called them up, invited them to come. I said, I, I go to worship at a church. And they said, well, what church is it? It's a church here in town on Manning Avenue. And they said, oh, my God. I, went, I was in an open house for kids in that church, and I met the pastor, and he was very friendly to me. Yeah, of course I'll go back. Imagine if I was a jerk to her. Imagine if she'd met somebody who was a jerk in the church. We opened the door to Christ. With love, we become the embodiment of Jesus with love. Each of you are here because of relationship. Somebody took the time to invest in you. Either Jesus supernaturally drew you in, which I find that's very, the, the percentage of that is, is, is small. And for some people that is. Jesus will draw the first person in, but the rest of that person's family or the rest of that person's loved one are drawn through relationship. Why? Jesus works through people. He works through relationship. Listen to this story of a missionary in East Africa. Her name is uh, Ira Gillette. He returned home to report <coughs> on his activities overseas, and he related an interesting phenomenon. Repeatedly, Gillette had noticed how groups of Africans would walk past government hospitals and travel many extra miles to receive medical treatment at the missionary compound. He finally asked a particular group why they walked the extra distance when the same treatments were available at the government clinics. The reply was this, the medicines may be the same, but the hands are different. That's the virtue of love incarnated. That kind of love makes a difference. Christ has no hands but our hands. Christ has no feet but our feet. We are his ambassadors representing him to the world. And when we love as he has loved us, it will make the difference in people's lives. 
people will notice. Christian love is indispensable. The, world, the, the love that the world offers you. And Pastor Pablo briefly spoke about this last week. Now, we have some disagreements as to how we go about this, him and I. But he briefly spoke about this last week. There's a fictitious love found in many corners of our society that we drown out, whether that be an addiction to alcohol, an addiction to drugs, prescription use, whatever it is, there is a drowning out of a fictitious love that we turn to that will satisfy us for a moment. The only person that brings stability and is an anchor and a foundation to our lives is Christ. But we've got to be the church. Enough of being sourpuss, sour-faced people. Enough of being non-welcoming people. Now, I'm not saying that this happens in this church because I've always found you guys to be loving and welcoming people. But it's something we need to take a look at. We need to, we need to demonstrate. So how do we demonstrate the distinctiveness of Christian love? Because virtue is moral action when we practice it. So how can we practice the virtue of love? Number one, love values the other person. Love values the other person. Let's not confuse Christian love with modern counterfeits like lust, sentimentality, or gratification. While love is wonderful and it's a warm feeling, love is not only a feeling. In fact, according to the Bible, love is primarily an active interest in the well-being of someone else. That's love. Love is primarily an active interest in the well-being of someone else. Love acts for the benefit of others. According to William Barclay, love is the spirit in the heart that will never seek anything but the highest good for its fellow man. And let me tell you something. It's more than an emotion. For you who have been married or have been in a relationship for any amount of time, you know that there are days that you wake up and you're like, well, I don't know that I'm feeling this. I don't know that this is, uh, I don't know that this is an emotion. This is not a... I'm just not feeling this today. You go through rough patches in your marriage and in your relationship where you're like, well, I, the emotions aren't there. I don't, I don't feel. It's, it's in those times where the commitment, the action to love one another will supersede the emotions. And eventually the emotions will come back and begin to flood in. God loved us not because we had something to offer him, but rather he had something to offer us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever believes in him will not perish but will have everlasting life. God loved us so that he could demonstrate his mercy on us in the person of his son Jesus. Everyone around us is of incredible value to God. As a potential object of his mercy. His one and only son died in their place. Because people matter so much to him, they need to matter to us. I realize you have busy lives. You have a commute. You have a job. But when we value things like occupation and items and materialistic goods above people, we've lost ourselves. If people matter to God, people need to matter to us. And if that's true, then we need to love them the way he does. Number two, love is vulnerable to the other. 
In other words, love opens up its life to another person. It goes beyond sentimental feelings. It breaks down barriers. It exposes the heart. Think about Jesus. He left the glory of heaven to come to earth. He veiled his divinity and took on humanity. And what did it get him? John 1, 11 says this. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. Can you imagine being away on a business trip for a week, coming home, and your family not recognizing you? That's similar to what Jesus experienced when he came to earth. It must have hurt. Then as Jesus hung on the cross, dying for those that he loved, they hurled abuses, scorn, and ridicule at him. His heart was broken, and yet he forgave them. Christian love is the most costly investment you will ever make. C.S. Lewis in The Four Loves describes the vulnerable nature of love. Here's what C.S. Lewis says. To love is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, then you must give your heart to no one, not even to an animal. Wrap it carefully around the hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. Instead, it will become unbreakable, impenetrable, and irredeemable. When we love people... We put ourselves on the line. Our hearts are on the line. Our relationships are on the line. Our reputation is on the line. And guess what? Here's what happens when we do that. You're going to get it broken a few times. People are going to hurt you. Friends. People that you're in relationship with. You've got to come to terms with that. Doesn't mean you don't continue putting it out there. All the more Christian love. There will be people who reject you, who hate you, who won't understand you. Continue to demonstrate the love of Christ. Love also entails a cost. Love gets its hands dirty. It takes a chance. Love goes out on a limb. It takes a gamble. Love makes a statement. And love will leave a legacy. It does the unexpected, the surprising, and the stirring. It performs acts that steals the heart and leaves an impression on the soul. Often these acts are never forgotten. We just had the death of one of the world's worst dictators, Fidel Castro, Friday night. But here's the deal. To you and me, he is a tyrant because we have an understanding of the broader picture. To the children who lived under his rule for 50 years, who did not go hungry because of the social programs that he instituted, he's their hero. It's why you see such a difference in influx from the people that receive it and people don't. Because when, when you demonstrate even one act of love, even one act of love, people tend to have that one act of love erase the rest of the negative. Here's the deal with us as Christians. We need to avoid the negativity. We need to avoid that negative aspect. Our love needs to leave a legacy. Our loves need to be acts that are not forgotten. Joe, do you remember the person that invited you to come to church? Yeah. 
Do you remember the person that, that, obviously, yeah. You remember? Does anybody remember the person that first invited them, first told them about Christ? Can you raise your hand? Yeah. Because that act of love will never be forgotten. It will never be forgotten. They may not have been your pastor. They may not have the privilege to be the discipler, the one that walked with you. But their impact and their seed on your life will never, ever, ever be forgotten. You've left them with a legacy. You've left them with an imprint on their lives that will never be forgotten. And I grew up in a church, even for you, those of you who may have grown up in church. I remember the impact of the person that made me love Jesus. I love my mom. My mom was incredible and awesome. My dad was a good dad. But to me, the person that embodied Christ for me was my grandfather. And I loved him so much. And I saw his dedication. And I saw his integrity and his love for his family, both in church and outside of church. And despite the fact that he had some really different uh, opinions on certain things than, than I do, he showed me the love of Jesus embodied in a person. And I'll never forget that. It is a mark of love. It is a mark of legacy. I recently read this story about the founder of World Vision, the Christian Relief Agency. Bob Pierce had advanced leukemia, but he chose to visit a colleague in Indonesia before he died. And as he and others were walking together through a small village, they came upon a young girl lying on a bamboo mat next to a river. She was dying of cancer and had only a short time to live. Bob was indignant. He demanded to know why she wasn't in a clinic. But his friends explained to her that she was from the jungle and wished to spend her last days next to the river where it was cool and familiar to her. As Bob gazed at her, he felt such compassion that he got down on his knees in the mud. He took her hand and began stroking it. And although the, she did not understand, he prayed for her. And afterwards, she looked up and said something. What did she say, Bob asked his friend. His friend replied, she said, if I could only sleep again, if I could only sleep again. It seemed that her pain was too great to allow her the relief of rest. And Bob began to weep. He reached into his pocket took out his own sleeping pills, the ones his doctor had given him because of the pain from his leukemia was too great for him to sleep at night. He handed the bottle to his friend, and he said this, he'll make sure this young lady gets a good night's sleep as long as these pills last. Bob was 10 days away from where he could get his prescription refilled. This meant 10 painful and restless nights. That day, his love cost him greatly. But even in the midst of his suffering, God infused him with a supernatural sense of satisfaction that he had done the right thing. I'm not saying that we should constantly abuse ourselves or become passive doormats. But Christian love inevitably carries a cost to it. Even when the cost is high, we can nevertheless count on God to bring fulfillment to his followers. True love always costs. If there is no cost, there is no love. Love is the international language. So much may separate us, 
language may separate me, but you'll understand if I put my hand on your shoulder and begin to, to rub you or begin to, you'll understand when I give you something, when I feed you and clothe you. Though we don't speak the same language, you'll get that because you'll understand love. Love surpasses everything. Love will surpass every language. In the end, the goal of the Christian life is love. I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward. The measure of our maturity is our love for God and our love for others. If we fail in our love, we have missed what it means to be a Christian. But there is hope for the one who has failed in love. At the beginning, I asked a question. I said, can we do it? Can we love? Can we love others in this way? Here's the answer. I'm afraid the answer is no. We can't. We cannot love others like Christ without Christ. The Lord who forgave even those who crucified him stands ready to forgive you for a lack of love in your life. He wants to show his mercy toward you today to cleanse your loveless heart and to fill it with the power of his loving Holy Spirit. I want to invite you this morning to receive that mercy from Jesus, to place your trust in Christ and to let him teach you how to love as he's loved you. And I wanted to show you something today. As we are in this 1-1 campaign, inviting one person once a week, I wanted to show you something. People don't come to church because you handed them a track or put a scripture or the WWJD. Or we put a billboard up. People come out of relationship with other people. They come because they trust you. Because they trust that when you invite them to go somewhere, that they're going to get truth in that place. That's why they come. And so I'm going to invite you, use that capital this week. Use that. That's an asset that you have. Use that every week for the glory of Christ to invite somebody who is far off to come in and to be reconciled to Christ. That's the goal. It's why we're here. I'm not sending you out there with invitations so that Risen King Church can grow. I'm sending you out there with invitations to invite people so that people can be saved, so that people's lives can be transformed, so that they can come to Jesus. If they happen to do that here, amen. If they, if they can get a church elsewhere, then amen to that too. The goal is that Jesus wins at the end, that his kingdom is expanded. That is the goal at the end of the day. It's all about Jesus. So you have an opportunity to show that active love to people today as you're leaving this place. You showed me your love and your tenderness last week. How beautiful was that? Amazing from the, the uh, board um, to Pastor Pablo and his message for us to the children of the church, to each and every one of you guys, uh, showing us your love and your affection. That just lifted up my spirits. I could have had a church of two people then, and I felt like I had a church of 10,000 because you just loved me. And that's the same way. Somebody may feel very small. But when you show them love, 
they'll get self-confidence. They'll feel like they're worth something. You've given them a value to themselves and to their lives. And that's what we're about here. We're about showing people their real value, their real worth. The world, the world says you're only worth as much as your bank account, as much as you make in a year. Jesus says you're worth ten times more than that. You're worth so much that you're worth my blood on the cross. And we want to show people that they have that worth in Christ.